I'm excited. I got very encouraged tonight reading and studying our passage, so I look forward uh, to sharing those thoughts with you. Uh, 1 Kings chapter 15 is where we're going to pick up. 1 Kings 15. Let's ask the Lord for his blessing. Now, Heavenly Father, we, we admit, Lord, that we need your help. We are weak and tired and our thoughts go everywhere. We just need your spirit to help collect those thoughts, focus us, and, and help us to understand uh, your life-giving word. Uh, help us put it into practice. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we're, we've been working our way down the ladder of the history of the kings, and there are two ladders now because there are two kingdoms, not just Israel as a nation. The congregation of Israel, if you will, have had a church split. And so now we're going to see a divided kingdom as we've been studying. Now, the, this is how it used to look under David and Solomon, one kingdom, and it really is bigger than modern day Israel. Under uh, Solomon and uh, David, the united monarchy, Israel as a whole. 40 years under David, 40 years under Solomon, but then because of Solomon's disobedience, you remember, and his idolatry, Israel follows and God tears that privilege away uh, from Rehoboam, his heir. So now we have a divided kingdom. And we have Israel with 10 tribes in the north, and we have Judah with two tribes that's just called Judah. It's really Judah and Benjamin uh, there in the south. And we've been seeing the different kings now. Now, the kings in the south will all be related to David all the way through. But the kings in the north are from nine different families. There's no lasting dynasty, as you're going to see tonight. It's just chaos. It's one king killing the next king to, for the power. And they're all evil in the north, and there's about eight out of the 20 kings in the south are going to be good. And so we've been looking at that. We're working our way down a list here, and where we're at now, those are the, these are the list of the 20 or so on each side, kings that will go all the way down through the centuries uh, until both Israel and Judah are exiled away. Uh, the northern kingdom in 722 by the Assyrians and the southern kingdom in 586 by the Babylonians by King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, somebody asked me what we're going to talk about tonight. I said, get your history books ready. I mean, it just, it, it is, it is very much like a history class uh, when you're going through 1 Kings and 2 Kings and the Chronicles uh, because you have to be on your toes with history. And so, uh, What's highlighted in yellow is where we find ourselves tonight. And so we're not that far removed from Solomon and David, the days of Solomon and David. Actually, we're getting uh, down there a couple, three generations. And so um, we are now finishing up with Asa's life. That's our context for tonight. Uh, King Asa is great, great grandson of King David. And out of nowhere, out of three really generations of bad examples, we have a good king. So King Asa, we've been talking about, is a good king. What makes him good? Well, uh, he doesn't stand for evil. Now, one thing I didn't mention last week is what an encouragement to families that have had uh, multiple generations of besetting sins. Then after three generations, we've got Asa, who, who doesn't blame his father or the generation around him or what got handed to him, but by the grace of God, he's able to live for the Lord. And that's just the, the way it always is. There's no such thing as a generational curse, none at all. There's generational influence, but everybody, by the grace of God, has a choice and we make those choices, and Asa chose to walk with the Lord. And so, uh, for the context then, um, we're, we're finishing up, we're in the middle of the story about King uh, Asa, uh, and then we jump north to check out the two evil kings, all right? So, we didn't finish, we heard, what did we hear? We heard that he ousted his 
queen grandmother who behind the scenes was really wicked and really controlling things. But this, this young man said, Grandma, you gotta go. Uh, because she did something very horrible. She was involved in the sexual immorality and, and the worship of false gods. And so he deposed her. And the other things he did was he kind of got rid of all of the idolatry and uh, he was reestablishing true worship, strengthening uh, the armed forces. And he just takes a, a stand against evil. He got rid of the male shrine prostitutes as well. Um, and so he's cleaning things up. And the Lord said, here's a guy who loves me. He's a good king. Now, we're going to finish up his life and then go to the north. Okay? So here we go. Verse 16. Now, there was war between Asa and Basha, king of Israel, throughout their reigns. Basha, king of Israel, went up against Judah and fortified Ramah, to prevent anyone from leaving or entering the territory of Asa, king of Judah. Asa then took all the silver and gold that was left in the treasuries of the Lord's temple and of his own um, palace. He entrusted it to his officials and sent them to Ben-Hadad, son of that guy, and son of that guy, and he's the king of Syria, okay? Aram is modern-day Syria. Um, who was ruling in Damascus. Let there be, he sends this message, let there be a treaty between me and you, he said, as there was between my father and your father. See, I'm sending you a gift of silver and gold. Now break your treaty with Basha, king of Israel, so he will withdraw from me. Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, agreed with the king of Judah, Asa, and sent the commanders of his forces against the towns of Israel. He conquered Ejen, um, Dan, Abel Beth Maaka, and all Kinnereth, in addition to Naphtali. When Bashah heard this, he stopped building Ramah and withdrew to Tirzah. Then King Asa issued an order to all Judah, no one was exempt, and they carried away from Ramah the stones and timber that Basha, the king of Israel, had been using there as a blockade. With them, King Asa built up Geba in Benjamin and also Mizpah. As for the other events in Asa's reign, all his achievements and all he did and the cities he built, are they not written in the book of the annals of the king of Judah? In his old age, however, his feet became diseased. Now, if it wasn't the word of God, I would say TMI there, a little too much information, uh, but there's a reason behind that, and we're going to talk about it. Verse 24, then Asa rested with his fathers and was buried with them in the city of his father David, and Jehoshaphat, jump in Jehoshaphat, his son succeeded him as king. And so we're going to pause there, Roman numeral number one, if you're taking notes, Asa slips. He doesn't finish very well. Proverbs 21 and 20 and verse 14 says, I really want to find it here. Let's take a guess. Could it be that one? Good. A gift given in secret soothes anger and a bribe concealed in the cloak pacifies great wrath. Well, that may be true, but it doesn't justify what we're doing. And so some people can be bought and the king of Syria was one of them. And now, uh, now when the Lord describes King Asa, uh, he describes him as good. Now, verse 11 and verse 14 in the same chapter, check this out. Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord as his father David had done, which is actually his great-great-grandfather. Verse 14, Asa's heart was fully committed to the Lord all his life. What encouragement for me to see this guy, not only does he make a mistake here, and we're going to talk about it, um, but he has some other difficulties as well. But the Lord says, uh, he says, you didn't get to the high places. Remember last time. He didn't get to the high places. But he, listen to what he says. He says, uh, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He loved God. He walked with God. He found God's favor. 
Asa's heart was fully committed to the Lord all his life, but he didn't get to the high places. How encouraging. All of us have, have undone, uncharted areas that need discipline still that, that, that we are working on. And God can still say, I know that person. My grace covers that person. That's a person who loves me and is loyal to me and walks with me. They, 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 they don't have it perfect. They haven't reached the high places. Not an excuse not to try to reach the high places before you, you, you die and, and you stand before the Lord. But I can be called a fully devoted Christian and have some things undone in my life. In my marriage, the goals of being a godly husband, that's a lifetime journey. Amen? Hello? <laughs> and there are some other areas, too, as well. You've got high places that you have not reached yet, most of you, most of us, me included. And yet, God is going to be able to look at you and say, well done, good and faithful servant. How's that possible? His grace. His grace. And so I'm encouraged just there. So Asa's um, misstep. What happened here with the bribe? He's bribing an enemy nation to attack Israel, you know, the north. Uh, now in the north there, um, Bashar has uh, assassinated Nabad, Nadab, the king, and succeeded him as king. And we're going to read about that later. So he's struggling for um, dominance. So he decides to attack Judah um, where good king Asa is reigning down in Jerusalem. So apparently Basha can't defeat Judah without the help of Syria's army, king uh, of Aram or Ben-Hadad as he's called. So in verse 17 you have a strategy to weaken uh, Judah, to weaken Judah by a blockade. So verse 17 uh, says uh, that it effectively, he's effectively stopping defections. Uh, the king of the north is blocking the one main entrance to Jerusalem. And so there's a kind of an embargo going on, sanctions. And he's preventing anybody from defecting. He doesn't want anybody to go to Jerusalem and go to the holidays and all of that. So he set up a pretty mighty blockade. And it's really freaking King Asa out. Now... Test question for believers. What do you do when you're outgunned and outnumbered and you feel a threat? Do you offer a prayer to God or do you offer a bribe to the bad guy? <laughs> well, Asa, for reasons known only to him and the evil one, uh, and to God, I suppose, goes with the latter and sends a delegation to try to buy serious help. Now, there wasn't very much left in the treasuries there of the Lord at the temple in Jerusalem. First Kings chapter 14, verse 26 says, Pharaoh came up and hauled it all away to teach Jeroboam a lesson, right? But there was enough, uh, or Rehoboam, my bad, they both sound the same to me. It was Rehoboam that got robbed, all right? Uh, but there was enough to kind of uh, entice the king of Syria to listen up. Now, what happened there? It was just panic instead of prayer, and fear instead of faith, and an oh no instead of oh God, help me. We need to not lean on our own understandings. What is it about a crisis that erases all of God's past faithfulness in all of our past hardships? I don't know what it is, but you know, uh, my pastor who uh, discipled me 30 plus years ago, Pastor Steve would always uh, drill this into our hearts and heads. He'd say, pray first, then call me. Pray first, then call your doctor. Pray first, and then Go to your resources as God would direct you. But pray, give a little time when the, when the hardship comes. Just don't just say, hey, I got this. I can figure this out. Got some money. We got a bad king up there. He's probably going to listen to me. I can bribe my way out of this. I can be resourceful, and that's too bad. Uh, so 
Verse 18, it says, Asa strips the temple of its last assorted bling things. And, you know, we don't have gold shields anymore, but we got some bronze shields. And uh, he empties the shekels from the safe there. And he sends a delegation behind enemy lines up there in uh, northern Israel to Ben-Hadad. And do you remember that song from the 70s by war called why can't we be friends? Yeah. yeah, well, I won't bother you with the second verses on that, um, but that's what they went singing. Hey, king of Syria, can we be friends? Uh, why don't you and me bury the hatchet in the king of Israel's back? Uh, your dad, my dad, we, they had a treaty uh, admit it, you like me better than King Bashaw. Uh, and did I mention there's fifty grand, fifty thousand uh, dollars in this for just backing off and helping me? And so now in Second Chronicles 16 verses seven through nine, I'm going to take a chance here. I can't see. Oh wow! Hit it again. Bingo. God is not happy with what he did. So Chronicles kind of lets us see exactly what King Asa had done in the eyes of the Lord. At that time, Hanani, the seer, a prophet, came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, because you relied on the king of Aram and not on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Aram has escaped from your hand. We're not the Cushites. Now he's bringing up something that happened 15 years earlier where a bigger army came against Asa and Asa cried out to the Lord. He was outgunned way big and way threatened worse. Uh, and he called on the Lord and the Lord defended him. So here, we're not the Cushites and the Libyans, a mighty army with great numbers of chariots and horsemen. Yet when you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. And then this famous verse, verse 9. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. You've done a foolish thing, and from now on, you're going to be at war. Now, what's the Lord saying to him? Because he went, instead of praying and seeking the Lord and waiting for God to deliver him, he said, I got this. I'm going to bribe this king. He's going to pull back from Israel, and uh, that's going to save the day. The Lord, I hear the Lord saying in verse 8, really, you missed out, man. I had a plan, and it was way better than emptying your bank account. Verse 8, remember the last jam you were in, the chariots? Uh, by the way, you can read that in first, first, Second Chronicles 14. tells us that they came up from Ethiopia with 1,000 1,000s. A million men to his 580,000 warriors. And so uh, we, we see that uh, he had an opportunity 15 years ago to remember this. And so uh, he says, the Lord is saying, I was there for you. I was there for you. Just try, you should have just trusted me. Uh, verse 9, I'm constantly searching the earth, the Lord says, for those people who are in trouble to strengthen the weak. So what is he telling him? Look, I as the Lord, I've got radar. All, all I'm doing is sweeping the entire planet for those who are in trouble, who have a heart to depend on me. That's what I do, Asa. You didn't need to go into the bank account. And, and, and plus, that money belongs to the Lord, really. It was the temple of the Lord. He emptied his own pockets as well. But he helped himself to the temple treasuries to get himself and Israel out of uh, a gem. Here's the prayer he prayed 15 years before when the one million soldiers came up from Africa. Lord, there's no one like you to help the powerless against the mighty Help us, O Lord, our God, for we rely on you. And in your name, we have come against this vast army. O Lord, you are our God. Do not let man prevail against you. So what happens? You grow older. You have some of these experiences in the past. And you get a little um, presumptuous. You get a little careless. You get a little self-confident. I got this. I know how to be a Christian. And then you don't finish well. 
This is what it's saying to me is you constantly have to be vigilant at your Christian walk. There's never a time where you think, I have been doing this 35 years, I got this. You can't, you can't do that or you'll set yourself up for a fall. So it worked out for the time being. So, you know, but the question is not did it appear to work out. The question is, was God happy? So verse 20, we found out that he was not. But verse 20 says, king of Syria takes the loot. He attacks Israel and Bashah, right? He forces Israel to pull back from Judah in their little blockade. And Asa then conscripts the citizens to help dissemble that blockade. And he builds two fortified cities instead with the materials. Um, One author put it this way. Temporary fixes that result from our own logic and resources cannot compare with the permanent, deep, lasting, supernatural interventions that God grants to those who look first and foremost to him. So in summary, King, good King Ace's plan uh, brought temporary reprieve from the bad guy, a couple fortified cities, but also a foreign army emboldened to turn around and be an enemy. So Syria's gonna be a real trouble spot for Judah and Israel for the years to come. Uh, by the way, the Lord said through the prophet, uh, I would have defeated both of them, Israel and Syria, had you turned to me. I would have done both. What did you end up doing? He ended up financing Syria to attack God's people, Israel. He's paying them and financing them. And in the end, he's not gonna stop just with Israel. He's gonna come down to Judah. And so it was a, it was a pretty bad move. But what I, I really take heart knowing that God says, you know what, he was a good guy. He made a mistake. But he was a good guy, he loved me. But I really uh, take heart in that, in those verses. So, uh, it gets worse for him, by the way. Asa, according to Chronicles, at the end of his life, Asa throws that prophet who came to him and said, hey man, what about when the Ethiopians came up and you prayed this prayer and God's not happy with you? He said, you know what? You're going to jail. And he threw that guy into jail. And then people didn't like what he did and he treated them very harshly. And Chronicles says, hey, he, he ended bad. And then God, what does it say? The TMI verse. Then God allowed his feet to become diseased. Maybe he had gout. It was something terrible and painful. But here's what 1 Chronicles 16, 12 says. In his 39th year, and he only reigned 41 years, right? Uh, Asa was afflicted with a disease in his feet. Though his disease was severe, even in his illness, he did not seek help from the Lord, but only from the physicians. Oh, see, the Lord has a way of trying to soften us and pull us back into a place of repentance and and pain in the feet is a good place to start. I mean, you just really can't do anything. You're miserable, right? You can't go anywhere and every time and and, and he's like, the Lord is like, here I am every time. Ah, ah." And the Lord's like, you know? But he said, yeah, I got a doctor. I got a doctor. Now, Jesus said, Matthew 2.17, It's not the healthy people who need a doctor, but the sick. Jesus said, sick people need doctors. Please, (laughs) don't go away over here. Sick people need doctors. Now, if God speaks to you miraculously and tells you, don't go to the doctor like he was trying to get a hold of this guy and said, you know what? You and me have this thing going and I don't want you to go to the doctor. I want to take care of this. I want your, you to turn to me right now. But generally speaking, God gave us physicians and medicine and immunizations. I'm going to leave that to you and the Holy Spirit. But I will say from my humble opinion is that the sick need physicians. And who am I quoting? The Son of God. So, so there you have it. First God, then the doctors, but also the doctors. If God so impresses you to use them. Amen? Amen. 
All right, let's move on. There's a lot here. Now, don't get confused because we're going not forward. Asa dies, and now what happens is we go, we go backwards because while Asa's been reigning in the south for 41 years, the kings of Israel are knocking each other off. There's eight, eight of them, and God's just putting them to death. Right, So there's eight, while good King Asa's got 40 years, we gotta go back now, the Bible is gonna go back, way back to the beginning, and tell you what's been going on with those kings while Asa's been alive. And so we don't want you to get confused there. So uh, now we're gonna play catch up. Verse 25, all right? So now we've gone back in time. Nadab, son of Jeroboam, became king of Israel, in the second year of Asa, king of Judah, and he reigned over Israel two years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, walking in the ways of his father and in his sin, which he had caused Israel to commit. Basha, son of Ahijah of the house of Issachar, plotted against him. Now now we know how Basha got his kingship, all right? He murdered the king who was currently reigning who was Nadab, and he struck him down at Gibberthin, a Philistine town, while Nadab and all Israel were besieging it. So Basha killed Nadab in the third year of Asa, king of Judah, uh, his reign, and succeeded him as king. So that's how he gets on the throne. He kills the guy. As soon as he began to reign, he killed Jeroboam's whole family, King Basha. He did not leave Jeroboam anyone that breathed, but destroyed them all according to the word of the Lord given through the servant Ahijah, the Shilonite, uh, because of the sins Jeroboam had committed and had caused Israel to commit, and because he provoked the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger. As for the other events of Nadab's reign and all he did, are they not written in the book of the annals of the kings of Israel? There was war between Asa and Basha, king of Israel, throughout their reigns. Ha, huh, well, we just read about that war, didn't we? Now, what's up with the book of the annals? You know, if you want more details, those are books we don't have. They are, annals are just like archives or records. And it, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit that you, you get 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, and that's all you need. Now, the details, for the most part, they're horrific. If, these, if, if what we're reading is just a summary, the details aren't edifying. So I think they were lost you know, on purpose myself. So we don't have those books, just in case I heard somebody wondering, you know, what is the, where are these books? Well, we don't have them. So Asa slips now and Nadab is murdered by a rival in a coup d'etat, okay? So Jeroboam's heir is Nadab. He only gets two years. So we're working down the list of the evil kings of the north, all right? Uh, so uh, a contemporary, Basha, eyes the throne and assassinates him. Prophecy fulfilled because what happened? Uh, the Lord had already predicted to Basha that uh, all this was going to happen. So what, uh, to Jeroboam's family anyway. So King Basha turns and fires on the king while they're doing a military uh, exploit. And he's like, whoops, and he killed him. Well, now that he's dead, I might as well be king. Well, he murdered him, okay? So verse 29, he didn't leave Jeroboam anyone that breathed. He killed Jeroboam's entire family. Now, to secure their positions, the new king would often just wipe out every male heir, contender, or friend, or relative. Boy, if you had any association at all, the new king would kill you. And you, you will see this almost every single time. And so that confirmed Ahijah the prophet's words uh, that God would judge this wicked family. And he's not just judging Nadab, doesn't just die and then all the brothers die. Because of Jeroboam's sin, 
they're all wicked too. And there's always a line in there that says how wicked they are. So it's not just because the dad sinned and now all your relatives are going to be wiped out, but they are wicked as well. Joshua 23 and verse 14, Joshua's on his deathbed and he says, listen, you know with all your heart and soul that not one of God's good promises that he's made has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled, not one has failed. Now, his good promises and his negative ones, they both are kept. And so he made a promise to this family and he said, not one would survive and they were all wiped out, just like he said. So then Basha and Asa will duke it out for 24 years because Basha lives, reigns for 24 years. So all of those years are spent warring with the south. All right? So we already saw some of that. So Nadab's out and Basha's in verse 33. In the third year of Asa, king of Judah, Basha, son of Ahijah, became king of all Israel in Tirzah, and he reigned 24 years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, walking in the ways of Jeroboam and his, in his sin, uh, which he had caused Israel to commit. Chapter 16, verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jehu, son of Hanani, against Basha. I lifted you up out of the dust and made you leader of my people Israel. Well, he made him leader. He didn't, certainly did not condone the means of executing the king. But he did, in his permissive will, allow this nobody, nobody knows who this guy is, to actually be king over Israel. Now, but you walked in the ways of Jeroboam and caused my people Israel to sin and to provoke me to anger by their sins. So I'm about to consume Basha and his house, and I will make your house like that of Jeroboam, since you don't learn from history. Now, verse 4, very sad. Dogs will eat those belonging to Basha who die in the city, and the birds of the air will feed on those who die in the country. As for the other events of Basha's reign, well, that's enough, I think. <laughs> that's, uh, that really says a lot. Uh, what he did and his achievements, are they not written in the book of the annals of the kings of Israel? Basha rested with his fathers and was buried in Tirzah, and Elah, his son, succeeded him as king. Moreover, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Jehu to Basha and his house because of all the evil he had done in the eyes of the Lord, provoking him to anger by the things he did and becoming like the house of Jeroboam and also because he destroyed it. Now, I think that little PS there is important. The Lord is saying, hey, listen, I'm not holding anybody accountable for the past generation's sins. These guys were terrorists and wicked and self-absorbed uh, kind of monsters, and the Lord just kind of uh, let uh, them be judged. So what do we have? We have King Asa slips, we have King Nadab killed, and now we have King Basha, uh, who becomes dog food. All right, I'm sorry. <laughs> it says food for the dogs. Okay, bird feeder too. All right. Those who are determined to align themselves with the devil and shake their fists at God in defiance do not fare well. Amen? Amen. Well, on top of executing Nadab, Basha embraced idolatry, prostituted himself in Israel and that whole uh, nasty ordeal. Now, the prophet comes and says, buddy, you have not learned from history. I, the Lord is speaking, Basha, I raised you to be king from nobody. Uh, though God didn't sanction the way, as I mentioned, uh, you've ignored my grace, you fumbled the honor, uh, and used it for an opportunity to advance yourself uh, instead of leading Israel. So therefore, disaster and doom. Uh, verses uh, now, 8 through 14. So I have written here next, because <laughs> it's just one sad mess after another. Listen, one thing we've learned from history, we don't learn from history. All right? These guys, just uh, they're seeing it all unfold, and, they, and, and the Lord's like, next? Anybody want to obey me? Anybody want to keep my word? Anybody want to uh, try it? But every single one of them says, it won't happen to me. Oh, I'll find the exception. 
I'll be the one that can walk way close to the edge and not fall off. We've got a whole list. They're all going to fall off. Verse 8. In the, and we're not going to go very much further, by the way. I saw the look on some of your faces. <laughs> In the 26th year of Asa, king of Judah, Elah, son of Basha, became king of Israel, and he reigned in Tirzah two years. Now Zimri, one of his officials, who had command of half his chariots, plotted against him. Elah was in Tirzah at the time, getting drunk, in the home of Arza, the man in charge of the palace at Tirzah. Zimri came in, struck him down, and killed him in the 27th year of Asa, king of Judah. Then he succeeded him as king. Hmm, see a pattern? This is how you get to be king in the north, in Israel. You just see the guy, wait till he's drunk, kill him, and proclaim yourself as king. Now, that's how Bashar got to the throne. And by the way, nothing ever good comes from getting drunk. Amen. That's what I wrote down right there. Verse 11. As soon as Zimri began to reign and was seated on the throne, he killed off Bashar's whole family. He did not spare a single male, whether relative or friend. So Zimri destroyed the whole family of Bashar in accordance with the word of the Lord, spoken once again to Basha through the prophet Jehu, because of all the sins, because of all the sins, because of all the sins Basha and his son Elah had committed and caused Israel to commit, so that they provoked the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger by their worthless idols. As for the other events, if you're interested, they are written down in another book. <laughs> now, so we have King Asa who slips. We have King Nadab who was murdered by a rival. We have King Basha who experienced God's judgment, shall we say? It's better than dog food, right? And then now we have number four, King Elah murdered by another rival. Now, Basha's heir, his boy, is named Elah. And he only makes it two years before he's assassinated by one of his own soldiers, Zimri. Um, but sorry, King Allah, listen, that's exactly how your dad got to be king. That's exactly what he did. And then he wiped out the guy's family. That's exactly what's going to happen to you. You're going to get killed, and your whole family's going to be wiped out. So then King Zimri as most new kings would do, go on, goes on the killing spree and all the relatives and everybody. So by the way, all this chaos and disaster, says the Lord, is well-deserved because they're all wicked men provoking God to anger. You know, so instead of being a king for two years, what is he? He's in the palace drinking with his friends, you know? So no, no wonder they didn't want him to be king. You know, he's just a drunk. He's using the, the palace for his own pleasures. So let's do one more, just for fun. All right, next. <laughs> okay, quick. Verse 15 through 20. Now in the 27th year of Asa, king of Judah, Zimri reigned in Tirzah seven days. <laughs> he holds a record, the shortest reign of all those kings you see uplisted there. Seven days. The army, here's how it happened. The army was encamped uh, near a Philistine town when the Israelites in the camp heard that Zimri had plotted against the king and murdered him. Huh, they weren't very happy. They proclaimed Omri, the commander of the army, another commander, king over Israel that very day there in the camp. Then Omri and all the Israelites with him withdrew from Giberthen, and laid siege to Tirzah. Tirzah's where the new king is hanging out, all right? When Zimri saw that the city was taken, he was surrounded, right? He went into the citadel, the rear of the palace, and set the palace on fire around him. So he died because of the sins he committed. Uh, hear the Holy Spirit. He died 
because of the sins he committed, doing evil in the eyes of the Lord and walking in the ways of Jeroboam and in the sin he had committed and had caused Israel to commit. As for the other events, if you're interested, you know where to find them. (laughs) All right, so we've got King Asa. What did he do? He slipped, right? We had King Nadab, murdered by a rival. King Basha, judgment of God, just You know, this big thing about leaving their bodies unburied, that's a Jewish no-no. That's the worst thing for Jews in the Middle East. And so that plays into the disgrace and the judgment of God. And so King Elah now murdered by a rival, and King Zimri commits suicide. Only seven days as a king, you know, his fiery ambitions uh, go up in flames. Uh, as it were. So Zimri's reign is short-lived. Now here's what's going on. The Israelites find out that this new guy plotted. He was a trusted commander. And he plots and he kills the king. So a week later, the rumor gets out to everybody, he killed the king. It wasn't an accident. He killed him. And now he's in the palace in Tirza. So they said, you know what? The next guy in charge, Omri. Omri's another commander. He says, Omri, you're the, they say, Omri, you're the new king. Let's go. We're, we're attacking the city. Let's forget about this and let's go to the palace and take care of business. And so when Zimri finds out he's surrounded and they're onto him and they don't want him to be king, he goes back in and he lights the place on fire. And what's he saying? If I can't be king, nobody's going to be king. If I can't live in the palace, there ain't going to be a palace. So he sets the whole thing on fire and burns right in the middle. But I like how the Holy Spirit says, and by the way, he died because he's so depressed. No. He died because he was overwhelmed with no, 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 no. He died because of all his sins, the text says. Rebellion and idolatry. And by the way, you know, I've heard lots of crazy stuff about suicide in the Christian world. Listen, the only sin that you cannot be forgiven for is dying in your sins. That's it. The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is to die not regenerated. That's the only sin that's not forgivable. If you're you're born again and you end up being overwhelmed and in a place where uh, you take your life, that is not an unpardonable sin. According to the Bible, there's nothing in the Bible that supports that understanding. And so um, uh, it didn't look like this guy knew the Lord, but, um, you know, we leave that to God's business. So... um, So let's wrap up. So besides King Asa in the south, here's a list of, and you have it right behind me, self-centered, power-hungry, unbelieving, murderous, evil men bent on resisting God. No regard for the Lord, no fear of God, no love for God's people. Nothing more a king wanted than to reign and to pass that dynasty on to his son. And so the northern kingdom, nine different families. They're they're never going to get that dream. But in the south, God made a promise to David and said, you'll always have a guy on the throne. Not based on their goodness either, because a lot of them were bad, but God made a promise to David and he's going to keep it. They're all related to David. There's one dynasty in the south and it's the Davidic dynasty. Now, uh, keep in mind that these evil kings, as we wrap up tonight, these evil kings are a foreshadow of the evil king who's coming, who may be alive today as we speak. He is called the Antichrist. First John chapter 2, verse 18, John says, hey, you've heard that Antichrist is coming, and he is. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 calls him the man of lawlessness, and Revelation really paints the picture, doesn't it, of this king 
this president of the world that the world just loves and accepts, and he loves that too, and he commands worldwide worship. If you do not worship him and acknowledge him, you will lose your life, and multitudes will perish in those days under his ruthless rule. Once he's revealed and the Holy Spirit is called the restrainer is removed and the church with him caught up and removed. Then there's a seven year battle between this king whose prototypes are right there and the king. Seven year battle and then he appears And that king fires upon that king. They take aim and they fight against the Lord and lose (laughs) in a real bloody mess. Now, check this out. What does it say about the end? About the birds and the vultures and the angel calling, come to the supper of God. Their carcasses will be strewn for hundreds of miles and the birds of the air will have a feast. Ha, do you hear the language? It's a foreshadowing. It's a prophetic picture of the end when the good king, David's son, through Mary, related to David, a glorified human being king, who happens to be the God-man, he's also fully God, he comes and he reigns forever and ever. Let me close with reading that beautiful verse out of uh, chapter 19. I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose riders call faithful and true with justice He judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire and on his head many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horse and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And we've been seeing that. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written on him, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I saw an angel coming, uh, standing in the sun who cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying in the midair, come gather together for the great supper of God so that you may eat the flesh of kings, generals, and mighty men. Well, I've seen it. We're seeing it of horses and their riders and the flesh of all people, free and slave, small and great. Then I saw the beast, the Antichrist, the false king, the list of all of those kings, all the prodigies. Then I saw the beast and the king and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against the rider of the horse and his army. They gather together to make war against the Lord. They see him and they say, let's get him. That's so dumb. (laughs) Verse 20, but the beast was captured, the, the, the Antichrist, and with him the false prophet who had performed the miraculous signs on his behalf. With these signs, he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshiped his image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. The rest of them were killed with a sword that came out of the mouth of the rider on the horse and all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. Well, as the worship team comes up now. (laughs) Listen, the Bible is filled with wonderful promises to those who just surrender and love the Lord and have faith. And he, there's also promises that say if you oppose God, you end up perishing under the wrath of God. But what does he say to the church? In Revelation chapter 
3 and verse 10. He says, speaking to the church, I will spare you from the hour of tribulation that shall come upon the whole earth. Now, nothing has come upon the whole earth in the, in the future from that writing. But it will come. And we have grace in God because we know the true king, the good king. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you for Jesus, our true king. We thank you for him being Lord of our lives. We thank you for the love in our hearts. We thank you for your protection and your grace and the sobering reflections from a very intense uh, portion of your scriptures. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I know there's a lot of details in history in 1 Kings and 2 Kings. Sometimes it's hard to follow along, but there is a message there that we take away. Life is serious. Life is very serious. It's so much more serious than any of us really realize, I think. And most people outside in the world, they don't get it. They don't know how serious life is. Our choices matter. And God is not playing games. And he's not afraid to talk in terms that just grab us by the scruff of our souls and shake us up. I'm glad to have those portions of scripture. I'm glad to read them. I'm glad to study them. It just sobers us up. Think about all of that in light of your world and your choices and what's so important to you and your sins and all of that. And let it burn out of you. Let it burn into you priorities that matter. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, dismiss us now in your peace and help us, Lord, to to take moment by moment and live serious lives, sober and vigilant, knowing what's coming ahead. Entire world, the world as we know it, coming to an end. You appearing with us and reigning forever. Our choices mattering even tonight. So bless us, Lord. Help us to walk with you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.